Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, I'm catching up with Cub member Michael Laps, the co-founder of Yoga Digital, an incredible digital marketing agency that's been around for six years. They've got over 24 staff. They've worked with brands like ANZ, uh, Pinot Cruises, the NRL, and he's only 31. So he's a really young, incredibly successful entrepreneur. And we had a brilliant conversation. It was actually one of my favorite episodes we've done. We spoke about the very delicate balance between needing ego and ego being your enemy as an entrepreneur and as a business owner. We discussed how to create and have the perfect website. And we spoke about how to understand your clients better and how to understand who they compare you to, who your competition is and how to make yourself have no competition, be the only option. It was a brilliant conversation. We even spoke about Elon Musk for a bit there, which I loved. He's a legend. You're going to enjoy this one. Enjoy the show. And we're live, Mr. Laps. What's up, my friend? Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you here. Um, very excited because not only are we good friends and you've been uh, – how long have you been a member now for? Since February 2019, so coming up on two years. So almost two years. Yeah. Mad, love that. <laughs> you still got another five years left. So <laughs> <laughs> get comfortable. Why just five? <laughs> now, I don't know. Aiming so low. I actually had this conversation with um, – because remember when we were toying with the fact that, yeah, aiming so low, I a few members said that to me because – I was playing with the idea of having like a like a finish line where you kind of become an alumni or like a um, like a, a lifetime member. You, you know, you got a discounted for life. It's I don't know whatever the you know, cost almost nothing per year, and you can stay for life now. And I, I still like that idea. But I, you know, my Monday emails I send to the members. Yeah, I, I sent that in one email just to see what people's thoughts were, and so many people wrote back to me and were like. Five years, that's too, sh- like, that's not long enough. That's, but in my head, I was like, five years is pretty good. Like, so I don't, I don't know. What do you think? I, uh, I went and presented at a CEO's group. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day I got invited to come and speak. There was about like 15, 16 people there. Um, and they have been in a networking group for about 10 or 15 years now. Oh, shit. Like basically like a, a core group of them the same. And then there's uh, people that kind of come and go on the periphery. But for the most part, it's been like the same core group. So they have been through absolutely everything together um, from a business perspective. They've seen all the highs, all the lows, work through it together. And they still pay the same amount every single year. And I can tell you that it's significantly more expensive than Cub. Yeah. Um, but like but people don't have a problem paying it and they're happy to pay and to attend and be there for well over a decade because the longer that that group stays together – actually the more the more value everyone extracts from it. So what you're saying to me is that not only is Cub a better service in this place, but it's also cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to go triple your prices yeah. and aim for double the length. Yeah, one, Absolutely. One, 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 who was it? Oh, no, I emailed him last week because I do all the first year renewals. So because I never really never, I don't get to meet the first year members ever until it comes time they renewal. And because we – so the first time you renew, you're invited to renew because it gives us that first year to make sure that you're a good member and that the other members fit yeah. well and you're there for the right reason. Makes sense. So you know you may not get invited to renew. So I do the first I do the I do the first year renewals. And one absolute legend, who was it? Um Charles Liu. He owns um Cubic Promote. Right, okay. Massive legend. I actually reckon he's going to be my best friend. He's like <laughs> yeah, he's my new favorite member. We we did his thing together. He goes, "Mate, you could easily double the price for me and I would renew." And he was like, but don't. <laughs> but I would. And what were you talking what, what were you speaking about on this um at your CEO group? Um, mostly just about like digital marketing, where it's all headed, things to look out for, um, general general kind of like strategy. But mostly it was an opportunity for each of the business owners to ask a whole bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that they're very good at is, you know, understanding that they don't know everything. And so they bring people in um, almost weekly, uh, they, or sorry, monthly, because they catch up monthly. And so every month they catch up, it's basically like a full day um, session in a boardroom at one of their offices. And they bring in a speaker for half a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that speaker basically covers 
a point of interest that people want to uh, want to discuss. Um, I like and, that, that. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and so I, I got brought in to talk about digital marketing, uh, but they probably had other people come in that, to talk about whether it's finance or law or scaling or mm. like whatever it might be, general business strategy. I love that concept of don't know everything. Like, you know, really successful, really smart people that they just own the fact that, oh, wait a second, there's people more successful, more smart. And, totally. and I don't know everything. I, I need to continue growing. And that's just a really cool concept. It's kind of like that book you were telling me about. I don't know. I've never read the book. I don't even know if it's about this, but I could imagine it's something to do with this. What was the book called? Ego is not the way. Ego is the enemy. Oh, ego is I, the enemy. Yeah. Um, Ryan Holiday. Is that about? Is that kind of about that? It's about you know never think you're you're at the top. You never think you're. Yeah, I think that it definitely explores a lot of those concepts. Um, it kind of breaks it down when like you're starting the business, when you've kind of hit success, and then what happens afterwards, which very frequently can be failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically goes through history and talks about like athletes or generals or. Um, business people and how they were like super successful and then at some point ego their ego kind of Gets got in it. the way and you know yeah. kind of caught up caught up with them conor mcgregor style <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> correct um but it's it was just it was a really interesting book because um i don't know whether like thinking that you know everything is is ego i would imagine that it probably has like a strong element of that um, but it just talks about how you kind of need to get out of your own way. Mm. And the second that you kind of start thinking that you're the best and then you kind of slow down or you take your foot off the accelerator, there's always there's always a number two who's waiting to become number one. Yeah. Um, so, we, yeah, it's, we it's, had, it's a great book. We had – because I'm on two sides of that fence. I kind of feel like – like if I think about myself, like there's definitely a big ego there. But I definitely feel, <laughs> but I definitely feel like – like it's that ego is what makes what makes me good. Just, uh, I genuinely believe that uh, I'll be the best, or I am the best, or I can definitely do that. Or if someone else did that, I can definitely fucking do. It. You know, many people told me when I was starting Cub and I was young, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So many people told me, "Oh, so many people have tried this before. That's not going to work." Like members clubs don't work. This I was like, "Well, well I haven't tried it." <laughs> and, you know, and I said that to myself, I was like, fuck everyone else. I haven't I, tried it. And, and that worked for me. But at the same time, um, when me and Laura were doing the podcast, when we were doing a bit of study and research about the podcast, uh, we started looking at the other podcasts, other Australian business podcasts. And I thought they like, sorry, guys, but I thought most of them sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the art sucked. I thought the interviewers sucked. I'm not saying I'm a fucking crash shop. But... But I didn't like them. And it gave – Laura was saying, like, this is amazing. Like, this is a big gap for us. We can do something really cool on this. Yeah. And by, by the way, Mark Boris's podcast is awesome. So if you haven't listened to The Mentor, go listen to that. But yeah, that, that's, that's my favourite. But, um, but uh, I said to Laura, that's exactly why sometimes it's best not to look at what the competition are doing. Because if you feel it, – it, 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 sometimes you want to feel like they're closer than they are. And it forces you to keep progressing. You keep thinking, I want to be the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. But when you think, oh, I am the best, it's clear. And then you lose. That's kind of when that ego comes in. It's like, oh, I don't even need to try anymore. But, I mean, you said you started your business young. We started yogurt when we were 25. Oh, right? you were super young too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like there was a shortage of digital marketing agencies out there when we started it. Um, we just thought that we could do better than a lot of them and then we would work on trying to be the best out of all of them and that's that's a never-ending battle so I think I agree with you that you I think if you're starting a business there has to be some degree of ego there to say this is something that I believe I can do but I think the lesson is mostly to also stay humble at the same time and be like I believe in myself and I can get there and that's part of ego but then the other part of it is actually I'm not the best I don't know everything I need help um and then working really hard to continuously be number one. And even when you are number one, then then it becomes how do you stay number one without ego? Yeah, it's a delicate balance. Ego totally. has knife edge. Yes. Ego has that like self-belief part, which you need in order to do great things, whether it be be the fastest runner, best biologist, or a kick-ass entrepreneur. But ego also has, if it gets too big, if it get, the balloon gets too inflated, it can pop. And and, and and when it pops, you stop rising, you start falling and it's because you're not trying anymore. So you almost need that fear. Like you need, a, you need what are those big hot air balloons that got a bit of a fire? Yeah. And it keeps them going up. Yeah. Fire gets too big, 
balloon will fucking melt and everything, <laughs> everything falls. But if it's at the right, just that delicate balance, it can keep rising at the right pace that, that then that's eager. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think you just have to be like in check with reality as well. No, I, I always, I love when Jeff Bezos came out and said, um, Amazon's going to go bankrupt. And everyone was like, sorry, what? <laughs> like all the shareholders were like, sorry, I actually have a couple questions on that front. What do you mean it's going to go bankrupt? And he was like, it's going to be the same with every company ever. Amazon isn't a forever business. We're not going to be number one forever. And one day someone is going to beat us and we will not be the best anymore. And we will cease to be a company at some point, possibly while I'm still in charge. Now, admittedly, he said that I think it was like within the last year or two. And right now, Amazon accounts for 51 cents out of every dollar spent on e-commerce globally. Oh, my God. So half of e-commerce around the world, Amazon is responsible for. And he still came out and said, just by the way, we're going to get beaten. And I think that that kind of shows that it doesn't make a difference how big you are. You have to be a realist about the world and what's happening around you. And that no matter how big you get, there's always someone who's going to be number two who's kind of gunning for your spot. Yeah, I also feel like that shows that he just has a very good logical and realistic understanding of the world history and how things work. Totally. Yeah, which you need to be in that type of power position. You can't be yeah, living in oblivious land where everything's magical and everything's going to be sweet forever. And, but it's easy to get there. It's yeah. easy to live in that little zone of that little bubble of everything's going so great, I'm really loving it here, everything's going to be like this forever. But I think there's something about being – an optimist and a realist, that's a really nice combination. Yeah. I think being a pessimist isn't going to get you very far, but a realist is definitely like a, a very healthy quality to have. Really interesting thought. I've never thought like that. Yeah. Because being pessimistic is the worst thing you could ever do. It's, yeah. it's, it's just being a bad leader in the first place, but it's bad for your mental state. Yeah. Being a realist is what all – all business owners should be, yeah. all entrepreneurs should be. They should yeah. be realists. Should I mean, be always, egotistically yeah, realists, always, realists. Always aim for the best, but mm. also be realistic about all the stuff that could go wrong and actually have plans in place for that. Mm. Because, I mean, there's some stuff you can't plan for. Like planning for a pandemic is is probably wasn't on anyone's yeah. agenda really. Yeah, but, you know, um, clients leaving, key staff members leaving, um, like winning big normal, clients normal and then what effects. happens again, there's all, all, the, all the kind of stuff you have to plan for, mm. like having enough in the kitty to kind of help you survive all the rest of it because the good times don't roll forever. And one thing that this whole, like one thing this pandemic did for me or whatever this situation is did for me was, oh shit, you actually do need a plan for disaster, right? And, and really all business disasters is the same disaster. The only disaster really you can have is financial disaster. Right. All the other problems just lead to financial problems. So really, if you have a, if you have a, uh, like I've spoken about in the in the show before, but like a recession plan, we called it. Uh, this is when there's financial issues. This is what we we will revert to. This is this is the structure, the model. This is how we'll yep. run it. And and uh, I'd never thought of that before, um, COVID. And I think that uh, yeah, a big blessing that particularly people like myself and you and, and a lot of the other members is that it, it, we're not at the end of our uh, careers, right? We're at the, not the very start, but we're at the, the earlier phase of it, right? We, we're st everyone's still growing. Everybody still hasn't achieved their ultimate ambition and they're still going for gold. They're still hungry. They want to surround themselves with other people on the same path. Absolutely. Which means that we've learned this huge lesson before um, – like at the start, really, like the, it's the, a gift. Yeah, it is a gift. It just needs to be seen like that. Yeah, and I think um, whenever you're going through any, I think, difficult period in your life, no matter what it might be, it's very difficult to see the forest from the trees. And the, you're in the thick of it. You're anxious and stressed, and you know tensions and emotions are running high. Um, and so at the time, you're like, "This is awful. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm done with this. This is too hard, or whatever it might be." And then you get out the other side, and you see how far you've come, all the lessons that you've learned, the impact that it's had, how prepared you are for that kind of stuff in the future, you get stronger, you get better. Mm. It's evolution. Yeah. Um, yeah and it doesn't kill you, make you stronger. There's well, same hopefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the same thing like, you know, uh, you know, some days you win, some days you learn, right? Um, that and that's, uh, that's kind of, I think, what this pandemic has been. For a lot of people, this has been a huge learning lesson. Mm. Um, and for other people, they're thriving at the moment, which is great. But for the people that have been hit really hard, 
Which is majority woman. Which is, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, there's something that they'll be able to take out of that and then reapply to either grow their business or when they start the next business to have plans in place to prepare for that. Mm. Um, and, and, well, I guess what are some things that you're actually grateful for that have come because of COVID? Um, Could be in your business or your personal life, but uh, what are things that you, you think that, uh, yeah, you, you, this is something that's good that's happened because only because COVID has happened? Um, I, I think I walked out of it incredibly grateful for my business partners and incredibly grateful for our team. Mm-hmm. Um, our team was, was nothing short of incredible. Um, very luckily we didn't have to stand anyone down. We didn't let anyone go. Um, we did have to put quite a few people on reduced hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the people that were on reduced hours, they didn't actually work those reduced hours. They kept working the five days a week and they were like, we understand that the harder we work, the quicker the business will recover, the faster we come back to full time. That's a healthy, um, healthy team. But the way just everyone galvanized together, you know, we had to make some tough calls. We let our office go and all the rest of it. And um, I think the team understood that we had made some pretty tough decisions in order to keep everyone together. Um, and I think that there was just a really nice mutual respect. And I like, I was just so grateful to have such incredible humans working together side by side at yoga. Um, and how big is the team? 24. Oh, so it's a pretty decent sized team. Yeah. Um, and and why don't you tell us a bit more about yoga? Because I know that you guys have worked with some pretty serious clients. I mean, is the NRL is one of your current clients, are they? You yeah, we, we've kind of worked with the NRL across a couple of services over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, P&O Cruises and ANZ Bank and a couple of other brands. Um, but yeah, I mean, yoga was started six years ago, just over July 11th was our sixth birthday. Um, and yeah, we, Matt, Ian and I kind of, again, a little bit of ego thought that we could, uh, thought that we could do a better job than some other agencies out there. Um, and there was, I mean, the key aspect for us is that we really wanted to hone in on who the end consumer was for each of our clients and to build strategies tailored around their needs, um, rather than doing a bit of a cookie cutter approach, you know, it worked for this business, therefore it'll work for this other one. Um, we didn't want to do one size fits all. And so um, your, um, I guess your yeah your concept or your theory was we're gonna we're gonna be the, the digital marketing agency that focuses on who the end consumer is and we're gonna build everything around that per- yeah. person. Yeah, I mean, if if we can make the customers of our customers happy, then we're we're doing a good job because ultimately the way client our clients are going to be happy is if they're growing and mm-hmm. growing means revenue, right? And we're not talking about like growing traffic or that that helps. Um, but we're ultimately responsible for an ROI. So if they spend a dollar with us, how much are they going to make back? Um, and the only way that we're going to be able to achieve that for them is if we are in sync with who their consumers are, who their customers are, and that we're delivering a strategy that works for them and that makes sense for them and that they engage with. Um, and so if we can understand them and their behaviors, then we'll deliver a really good strategy. But if we're closed off from that, then it kind of becomes a bit more of a that cookie cutter approach that yeah. I was talking about. Which is about. very common. Which is very common. Yeah, Particularly absolutely. as you get into the bigger agencies and things like that. Yeah, I mean, very common. especially like if you have uh, offshore teams and that kind of stuff, you know, to some degree, they're very process driven, which means you're kind of rinse repeating. Yes. Um, and so it's harder to build really custom strategies because that defeats the purpose of an offshore team that's very process driven. Yeah. Um, and so we, we are very strategy led. Um, and that's yeah something that, we're proud of and is is a point of differentiation for us is how much we focus on that end consumer. And so what's the, what's your process in order to understand? So let's say uh, Cub um, is going, to, you're doing Cub's marketing. What's the process that you take your clients through in order to best understand their clients? Yep. Um, so first thing is we actually want to speak to all of the different stakeholders within the team, right? So within the Cub team would be first. We want to understand, first we need to download all of your knowledge, Right. So you have a history of the business. You guys are the ones that are kind of speaking to uh, Cub members at the moment. Um, So you you can already probably pass on a lot of information. We've got like a really detailed onboarding brief that covers every service with maybe 10 to 15 questions for each service. It's kind of like seven pages worth of questions. Right. So by the time it's answered, it's basically like what type of questions are there? Um, Everything from tell us about unique selling propositions, tone of voice, um, demographics of your customers. uh, Tell us about uh, your marketing history, your agency history, 
what website performance looks like now, what have you tried that has been working, what, what hasn't worked in the past, why hasn't it worked? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some of the pain points and motivations of your customers? Like, do you guys promote heavily or do you not? So there's a lot of stuff that we actually really want to know from your perspective first. The next perspective is to actually potentially speak to some of your end consumers and start to get a feel for their tone of voice and their language, their pain points, their motivations. You know, what competitors do they look at? Why do they look at those competitors? Um, and to start building a little bit of a profile from both ends. And then from there, we can actually turn around and say, all right, I think that we actually have a pretty good idea of what we want to do from a strategy perspective. And it's going to hit all of your key points. Um, but if we kind of just go in and went, all right, I've, I've worked with, uh, with, another, with another kind of club like yours before, so we're just going to do the same thing because it worked for them you're not the same business. Mm-hmm. You might be in the same industry, but you're not the same business. You have different goals. You have a different style. You speak to your consumers differently. So you need to understand all of those things because if we just start doing whatever we want, um, you're also kind of setting the scene for potentially quite a poor relationship um, because you're going to turn around and be like, do you even understand my business? Do you, do you care about our business enough to dig into the details? For us, the details is where the like that's that's where the gold is, and so uh, you, your um, third step, which was uh, so obviously you speak to the team of the company or all the stakeholders, all the different team members. You you do the um, prep form or the prep meeting with with the team. You then speak to the customers. So let's say I'm a business owner. I really want to do a bit of self research with my client base. Mm-hmm. Right? What are I guess the three most important things that you could ask your customers or three to five, whatever, whatever it is you ask or you think people should ask, most important things that you should be asking your customers in order to best understand them? Um, I think that that will probably depend a bit on the business. I'd say if it's a very complex product, um, so let's say we're talking about credit cards, home loans, um, like financial services, anything legal, like very important life decisions, that type of thing. I think the first thing that you want to know is what con- like what information do you need to feel comfortable to purchase this product? Um, because if you aren't providing that information on your website, then you're probably not giving them enough to actually want to kind of part with money, particularly if you're talking about a home loan, you know, people committing 20, 30 years of paying, you know, a bank money. You want to make sure that you've got the right people on board to support you through hard times and good times and all the rest of it. Um, I think if you're in e-commerce, it might be similar. Like if you've got skincare or something like that, people might want to know the ingredients. So I think generally just what information do you need from us to feel comfortable with us mm. is probably one of them. Yeah. Um, I think another one is, you know, which competitors do you generally compare us to and why? Could be really interesting. I think just understand, like context is really critical. So, you know, you people might think that you have the best business in the world, but then they might compare you to another business and be like, oh, actually, maybe maybe you're number two um, because I really like what these guys are doing and this is why. So I think just getting an understanding of competitor landscape and your, your own strengths and weaknesses within that landscape and why they look in other places so that you can maybe level the playing field or maintain a healthy lead is, is always going to be good. Um, and then from a third perspective, I think it's just understanding how you can engage with them better. Um, how can we better like communicate with you and engage with you? Um, not just like before the sale, but then after the sale, like how, how would you like to communicate with the brand? Do you want to hear from us? Do you not want to hear from us? Um, do, do they care about customer service or not? Um, I think, you know, if you kind of want to look at all stages of the funnel, so what's going to get you into the very top of the funnel, which is what content do you need? And then uh, kind of towards the bottom of the funnel, which is like what's happening with competitors and how can I beat them? What are the unique selling propositions that would matter to you? Um, and then after they've purchased, well, what do we like? How do we re-engage with you then and make you a lifetime customer as opposed to a once-off purchase? But do you find that the customer already or, or always knows those answers? Um, I think sometimes they do, um, which is why we also like to speak to a kind of a broad cross section. So if you've got a, like a fanboy or a fangirl, they they're going to think that you know you're fantastic and they're not going to give you a lot of constructive criticism because they already love you so much. So there's going to be limited things that they might give you feedback on. The people you're going to get the most feedback on is the people who've never purchased from you before or the people who've purchased from you maybe once or twice, but then never again. Mm. So something obviously happened in that process that they didn't feel that they wanted to purchase from you again. So there's a lot of opportunity there to speak to those customers because that's your untapped market. Your fanboys and fangirls are going to buy from you no matter what all the time. 
But the people who purchase from you once and then never again or have never purchased from you, that's your that's your opportunity cost. Or, or even unhappy customers. Like I, I, I can tell you there's been two times in Cubs five years where I've received uh, an email from a member which was a negative email. Like it was just them going on and about all the things they hate. All right? And I actually disagree with most of the stuff they said. Um, but obviously that was what they thought and fuck it, why not? Let think what you want. Uh, anyway, so I replied. <laughs> I was like, well, look, obviously you're not renewing. Um, you know, thank you for spending the time to take this. We've taken into consideration and, and, and whatnot. And they came back to me and said, oh, no, no, I didn't say I'm not renewing. I'm renewing. I'm renewing. I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to um, share with you my thoughts on. But anyway, so that led to then a phone call and to a really deep conversation, to a really good conversation. And, um, and b- both of them renewed. Both of them actually were happy with, like, they, they, they were happy with their membership. They liked Cub. But they wanted, because they liked it, they wanted to go out of their way to tell me what they didn't like about it as well to make you, because they cared. They want to yep. see it better. And I think just even having that conversation with your clients, um, you know, even if you were systemizing, you know, you're doing a bit of customer research. I love the idea of asking who the competition, or who they would compare you to. And I want to get back to that. But even, you know, you might find someone doesn't like a few things, but actually they're telling you they don't like it because they like your company and they want it to do well. And, and you find really gold nuggets in there. You find things, shit, yeah, we should, definitely should fix that. You're right. Our onboarding could have been better or our, you know. Also worth pointing out that a lot of the, a lot of the time if someone gives you negative feedback, they're probably not the only person that's had that experience. Mm. Right? So even if you d- might disagree with their feedback, it's possible that there's a lot of people who maybe for whatever reason didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel it necessary to give that feedback. 100%. But they're still having that experience. And so by someone giving you that feedback, um, you can then take that on board and implement change. And so it's the same for us when we're talking to our clients about digital strategy, you know, getting that feedback about what isn't, isn't working gives us a roadmap for execution. So here are the things that we want to change because your customers have actually told us that this is much more important than this other stuff that you're talking about that you want to change, but that your customers don't care about at all. Mm. Right. Um, you know, we always say like when we, when we deal with digital teams or e-com teams, they're so focused on the website, right? They look at it every single day, multiple times a day, trying to make changes. And so there'll be little things that they see that really bother them because they're looking at it every day. But depending on what industry you're in, your, your customer might come to your website once a year. And if they come to your website once a year, they don't notice that thing. They don't care about that thing. What they care about is, have you given me the information that I need, right? They don't care about, oh, this button, like, it's the wrong color. Like we need to change that, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's just interesting speaking to customers and then understanding what the priorities actually should be versus what the business priorities are, and then kind of actually working together to put them in the right order. Yeah, the the the, the client and the business need to be aligned, right? It, it would be like someone joining Cub that is just there to get a ROI. Yeah, but we're not aligned. Right? We're not a marketing agency. We're yeah. not you, for example. Yeah. Right? We are here to provide you the opportunity to build valuable relationships with other accomplished leaders. Yeah. Does business happen? Of course it does because you're friends with each other, you trust each other, and, and yeah, so you do business together. But that's not Cub doing that. That's you doing that after you've built a relationship with someone. Mm. Right? And, and sometimes just giving your client a call, you might hear the client say something that isn't aligned with what you're trying to provide. And then it opens up the door to allow you to align them and be like, look, uh, obviously, uh, you know, that's great. While business does happen, that's not what we're actually trying to do. We're actually trying to provide you opportunities to build valuable relationships with people and this is how we do it. And then the client's able to say, oh, that's right. Like sometimes people forget. Sometimes they came in, the ro- sometimes they weren't so- sold correctly for whatever reason. Um, and it gives you the opportunity to just make sure that you're aligned. I think the client and the, and the company need to be aligned or the purpose of the company and the client need to be aligned. Yep. Really important. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to who do you compare, oh, who do you compare us to? That was a big one, right? You'd be surprised who your clients compare you to. Mm-hmm. Really surprised. Yep. It's so crucial to understand that. I mean, we did um, we did some work with a, uh, a company that did uh, like custom-made suits. And so when we did that research, what was interesting is that they had constantly felt that their competition were other businesses that made custom-made suits. 
which makes sense, right? That is, if someone wants custom, someone wants custom. Um, but what actually came out of it was that most people will try and go and buy off the rack first. Then what they find is they can't find what they need off the rack because either they have like a slightly uh, like difficult body shape to they, buy off the rack. They have a vision in their head of what they Yeah, or they couldn't find the right color or whatever it was. They couldn't find exactly what they were looking for. So they go and try and buy off the rack first. Then they can't buy off the rack and then they go custom. So what happened is all of a sudden your competitor set has changed because instead of just being like, oh, it's all the custom-made suits uh, makers that are out there, it's suddenly Maya and David Jones and Hugo Boss and whoever else might be uh, kind of involved in that. But that's where people are going first. So that's actually who you need to beat before you beat the other custom suit makers. You need to convince someone not to even bother to go and look at off the rack because they're not going to find what they want and you can do a better job for cheaper. And by doing so, you literally eliminate your most direct competition or your most comparable competition, yeah. the other custom suit people, because yep. they're going straight to you rather than, yeah, rather than going through the typical, I guess, funnel process to them. Yeah, so you know, asking who your competitors are so that you can start to understand how you communicate to your customers is important because now you're changing your messaging a little bit to say, well, this is why we're better than off the rack. Mm. And so if you can take someone through that education process, you already then have built that trust with them. They're much more likely to shop with you than another custom suit maker anyway, because you're the one that provided that education. Um, so yeah, that's that's why we kind of try and dig a little bit deeper into the customer psyche and you know why they wanna buy. It's also a good way to really understand how good your brand is, right? Because like with Carb, at the very start, people would compare us to like co-working spaces and all this other bullshit, which we'd, well, obviously we're not a co-working space. No one works at Carb. Like they come in for meetings and things like that and they're networking, but yep. very few people, no, no one works full-time at Carb. Mm -hmm. um, and as we progress through time and as we progressed through the brand and things like that, people started comparing us to, to other different organizations, other different organizations, and, until eventually you want to just be uncomparable. You want to just be the only, like that, that's where you go. And to do that, this you, guy. yeah, to do that, you need a niche. Um, and, and really you would find that like, how you always use cup obviously because it's all I know, but like if you're a marketing agency, if you ask who did you compare me to and they compared you to other marketing agencies just in general that were, some were much bigger, some was small, some, had nothing to do with um, whatever your niche was. Different services, yeah. yeah. Whereas if they compare you to other agencies of a similar size that specialize in a very similar industry, for example, then you know that your brand is communicated well because not perfect because they're still comparing you, but well because at least you're being you're you're aligned to what you are. You know, whereas if they compared you to some other fucking random company. You'd be like, oh, obviously our brand is way off. We obviously need to communicate what we do uh, or who we do it for and how we do it much better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, even, even when you're kind of talking about comparing digital experiences, you know, we speak, to, we speak to customers and they say, well, you know, if you look at our website and then you look at a competitor website, you know, we're doing really well. Like we're miles ahead of our competitors from a digital perspective. And we're like, okay, that's an interesting perspective. But- people aren't comparing you to your competitors. They compare you to the best digital experiences in the world. If I go to the Apple website and think that you are like, and like absolutely love what they do, and then I come to, I don't know, a company that is like a, a lawyer, a law firm or something like that, and they go to that website and it looks like it was built the day the internet was created. You're all of a sudden, you're not being compared to your other, the other lawyers that you compete with. You're being compared to the other websites that people have been to. And so your experience is actually subpar, great for your industry, but subpar by like global Overall. standards. Exactly. So is someone going to be happy with that? No, they expect better. Yeah. They expect everyone. The customers and consumers in general have very high expectations and sometimes are unreasonable in what they want. Um, you know, we had, uh, we were talking to uh, one, of our, uh, one of our clients during uh, when COVID hit and uh, they went through the roof. And they, the end consumers were calling them and complaining about their delivery times, saying like, you know, three days is too long. Like I'm demanding stuff kind of like, cause they normally deliver within 
like 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it got pushed out to three, four days because everyone is suddenly doing e-commerce. Australia Post couldn't deliver fast enough. All these mitigating circumstances and, and consumers were like, we don't care. Like, give me what I want. No, should they? As the business, you should figure that shit out. <laughs> it's your job. Yeah, but it's it's there's sometimes reasons that you can't, right? And so it was it was just interesting to see how demanding the end consumer can be. So to just say I'm the best in my industry is actually no longer good enough. And that's kind of what um, like what I said that happened to me and Laura with when we were looking at the other podcast. We didn't look for very long, but but if we just compared ourselves to to them, then. Uh, I'm not even saying we're better than them. This is just our opinion. But if we compared ourselves to them, we were like, oh, mad. <laughs> this is, we can do way better. But we didn't. I said to Laura, hey, that look, at, look at the podcasts I listen to from the States and the, all the world's biggest podcasts. They're way better than us. The sound quality is better. The conversation is better. He starts it way better. And that's what we did. And, and really, that's how you should do it. There is, okay, let's make sure we're better than everyone else. But then, okay, if we've run out of competition, let's start competing with people much bigger than us. They have nothing to even do with us, perhaps, but we want to beat them anyway. Yeah, and that's what because there's always someone doing it better. Yeah, you're not comparing yourself to the best business podcast. You're comparing yourself to the, the best podcast on yeah. any category or, anywhere. Yeah, and not even the best Australian business podcast. You want the best business podcast in the world, then the best podcast, and the, you know, like yeah. you just want to keep pushing it. There's always someone better. There's always someone always. you can learn from. Doesn't matter who you are, what you do. You could be. The fastest runner there's going to be someone one day come along faster you know so 100 percent guaranteed that. yeah it's a guarantee it's like bezos said hey one day amazon's gonna be bankrupt yep it's yeah just, I, can't, I can't remember what the stat was for how quickly fortune 500 companies turn over um but it's just like half of them will like i think turn over like every 10 years or something like that crazy. right so you get to the very top of the world and then within 10 years you're you're out. Yeah, you turn your hot air balloon fire too hot, it burns a hole in the top and you start coming down. Yeah, or someone else just comes in with less weight, less baggage, less red tape, and they can just do better. <laughs> with a and fucking they can helicopter. do better faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> um, and so you understand your clients, yeah, you've spoken to the team, you've done all this type of stuff. And then obviously all digital people speak about building the funnel. Um, I don't want to really talk too much about the funnel because uh, we've had it, but but – I would like – we've heard a lot about the top of funnel, which is, oh, yeah, share your story a bit, communicate the brand, deliver value or whatever it may be. But – and from what I understand, the funnel works with get their attention, deliver value, let them know what you do, bottom of funnel, which is convert, no? Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on the funnel? Any any? Yeah, I think – Particularly on the bottom of it? Yeah. I mean, we we have a very heavy focus on the bottom of the funnel. So Why, there was that? A, there was Why a, as opposed to the top? So – e-consultancy released a report that said for every $92 that companies spend on driving traffic to their website, they only actually spend $1 on converting that traffic. So if you think about that as like that, that disparity, um, I think there's so much competition to get someone's attention, right? Especially during COVID, all of a sudden, no one people who weren't advertising online are all online. Everyone's got a content strategy. Everyone wants to say, you know, times are tough and we're here to support you. And, you know, we all saw every, every brand in the world, like had those messages go out. All um, those annoying emails from all these Totally. Like, this is how we're code. working through it and all the rest of it. And that's, that's great. But all of a sudden you're, you're like, you have to remember Google itself as a business is a publicly traded company. They have shareholders. So they need to constantly show revenue growth and, profitability. So they're always going to push and favor their own channels that deliver revenue, right? They're paid channels. So that system is built on getting more and more people into the top of the funnel to compete on price, which drives the cost of that traffic higher and makes it more and more difficult ultimately for people to compete. So it's more crowded at the top of the funnel than it ever has been. It's more expensive at the top of the funnel than it ever has been. And ultimately you don't have a lot of control because everyone here was fine until Amazon came into the country and then they understood that Amazon has much bigger budgets than we do. And eventually they're going to start catching up and they're going to eat into our market share. You can't control that. What you can control is when someone lands on your website, you have 100% control over the experience that they have. Whether or not your website is fast, whether or not the content is good, whether you have the features and functionality that they expect – whether it has a logical flow, whether or not the checkout experience is easy or whether or not, I guess, the inquiry process is easy. You control every one of those aspects. 
And so people are so focused on the traffic numbers, but as far as we're concerned, traffic without conversion is a vanity metric. You're just saying we're driving traffic for the sake of traffic, but the only way your business grows is if you make a dollar. And the only way you make a dollar is if someone either buys something or if they inquire or they leave their details in some way that allows you, you to convert. continue communication. Conversion is king, right? It's the only way that your business grows. And so the reason that we focus so much on the bottom of the funnel is that, again, we're a performance agency. People pay us to make money and to make more money than what they're spending with us. They're not making more money than what they're spending with us. What was the point in hiring us in the first place? Right? Again, we're not here to just drive more traffic. Traffic can lead to conversions. There's absolutely no question about that. If your conversion rate stays steady and I double your traffic, I've doubled your business. But if I can double your conversion rate and double your traffic at the same time, how much more effective are you? Because at that point, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Your conversion rate goes up, all channels improve or, performance. Or double your conversion rate and not increase your traffic. And so you didn't spend more money on getting the traffic, but you earned double the money. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's, there's multiple levers you can pull. And so I think we're focused there because a lot of agencies aren't. And so you really focus. So, so uh, just to clarify for me, you, can, you uh, classify the, your website as the bottom of the funnel. Um, I mean, it depends on the business. I would say for a lot of businesses in the digital age, Overall, it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Some people pick up the phone, but very few people pick up the phone without having been to a website. Okay. So what are some key features a great website should have? Um, the little, little things. I'm talking about little things. I think, I think clarity more than anything else. Most people. Uh, give, give us specifics. Like I remember one time in the clubhouse when you were there, I started talking about our website and I showed you it. And you said that they should know exactly what they get from the first five sec or like from the first or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it's, kind of, like it's that. kind of like the memory test, things. right? So basically yeah. if you land on someone's web, if you're on a laptop, you open up someone's website, you look at it for five seconds on the homepage and then you close it, you should be able to answer who they are, what they do and what they should do next, right? So there should be like a really clear hierarchy so that a consumer has total clarity. Because a lot of brands make it unnecessarily difficult for the customer to do what it is that they came to the website to do. The content is like a whole thesis on a page with, you know, no grammar and no paragraphs. And like people scan, they don't read in mm. great detail. I haven't read since 92. <laughs> and I was born in 92. <laughs> I'd be impressive if you were reading out the room. But um, I think uh, it's, you know, a really good example, right, uh, is financial services. In financial services and all of the research that we've done, generally speaking, you never find that more than 50% of people scroll to the very bottom of a page, right? People expect that the most important information is right at the very top, right? So people don't tend to scroll very far. And so in financial services, you always find that the T's and C's for like credit cards or home loans or whatever it might be, at the very bottom in teeny tiny text, and we were doing this research and speaking to consumers and they were like, oh, I like, first of all, the fact that they put it in tiny text basically validates for me that they're trying to screw me in some way, right? Because otherwise, why would it be in such small text? Mm. But beyond that, we found that actually about 80% of people scroll to the very bottom of a page on financial services because they want to read the T's and C's because in their mind, they already know that there's going to be something in there that is going to screw them. So they read, they go down and then they read every single line. And so you think about that from an experience and you go, great, what would make our website better? Let's be really upfront with our terms and conditions. Let's put it somewhere prominent where people can read and make them feel like they're involved in this process and that we're not going to do them any harm. Which would probably also force you to have some better TNCs. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and then potentially that too, yeah. you might have to like delete a couple lines. Yeah. Um, but I think generally speaking, a really good website is one that has a very natural flow that gives the consumers exactly what they need from an information perspective in a logical way and then always gives them the next step in that journey so that they don't have to think too hard about it. They don't have to go through the whole website trying to find what they're looking for. They can get to where they want to go from A to B as quickly and as simply as possible. And that's the mark of a good website. The more convoluted you make it in the middle, the more likely they are to go somewhere else. So so the first thing is in the first five, if someone's just on your website for five seconds, they should know who you are, what you do and what they should be doing next. Yep. So that's the first five seconds. This is the first, that's the top, that's your like landing page, I guess. Or yep. like when they get to your website, that's what they see. Yep. That really laid out easily. Yep. And then as they scroll down, you should be providing them information in a logical way that 
simply that makes it so obvious that what the next step they should be going through is yep. that it kind of walks them through to your front door. Absolutely. And beyond that, also make it clear why they should buy from you or why they should inquire with you. What is your unique selling proposition? Right? A lot of a lot of websites have the unique selling proposition at like the very bottom of the page where no one's going. And but that's 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 my reason, right? That's why I'm buying your service and not someone else's service because of those specific features. Mm. Um, so why are you hiding that? That should be super prominent and it should be on every single page so that there's absolutely no doubt about what makes you awesome. Um, and like, you know, a little bit like going on LinkedIn and then like not leaving any details about what makes you great. If you're looking for work and you're on LinkedIn and you haven't provided any information about why you're awesome, why would I hire you? Right? I don't know anything about you. Same as landing on a website. I don't know very much about your business quite possibly. So give me the information I need to feel comfortable with you so that I can give you my money. I've heard um, horror stories before about people spending fortunes on websites. And I <laughs> even Cub did it at one point. And then I was like, nah, I hate this website. Go back to the WordPress one. <laughs> it's true. That happened. Yeah. Um, I can't remember how much you spent, but it wasn't at the time it was a lot. It was like 25 grand. And I guess the question is like realistically, you can build a pretty great website for quite cost effect, quite cost effectively, you know? So like if you if a client came to you and say, Hey, this is my website, um, you know, we're not looking for BMW's website where you can customize cars. We're just looking for a really great flowing website that represents our brand well. How much do you reckon they should be spending? Oh, really? How long is the piece of string? Um, there's so many factors that get taken into account. For example, um, if you look at purely web development, right? Just the dev part, forget about design, forget about all the customer research, forget about all the time that needs to be spent on that. Just from a development perspective, what integrations do you need? Right? How complicated are those integrations? What software do you use as a business? Is it going to be particularly hard? Um, you know, do you need any specific features of functionality that we need to bring on and make work with a backend system that is archaic? Yeah, okay. Right? Uh, I most mean, businesses are pretty standard. Um, most businesses you'd, you'd, are. You'd be surprised. Um, I mean, like if you're building like a brochure site, like a really simple, like no, no. this is a cafe and, you know, it just needs to like integrate with HubSpot um, for leads and, you know, it's like a five-page website, then sure, you can do it for cheap. But once you get into e-commerce particularly, it's, it it's super complex. Yeah, okay, but that would be like comparing Cubs' website, which is, I mean, pretty basic, which I reckon most members have a similar website too, mm. to like the that legend Charles Liu that I mentioned before who has the, you know, the um, promotional merchandise yeah. and stuff. So uh, obviously his website's more complex. You've got to choose, you've got to put your brand, you can order, yeah. you can – that's more complex, but really for like for Cubs website, how much do you think that would cost for a full overhaul? Do you want to use a local based agency or do you want to use offshore? Right. Uh, I'm so saying if you, if you, like how much would you? Yeah. Okay. That's, right. That's a big. That's a big point. That, that's a huge point, right? If you're going yeah. to use an agency that's local like us, mm. our costs are going to be higher. We have a fully local team. Salaries here are higher. I'm not spending you know seven hundred dollars a month on you know one yeah. employee in the Philippines or Vietnam or Ukraine or whatever my offshore team might be. Mm -hmm. um, I have a fully local team and I have to, like, I need a cost base, a cost base to support that. Mm -hmm. So we're not, you know, uh, kind of like the cheap and cheerful agency. We are probably kind of like mid to uh, mid upper to tier yep. um, in terms of, in terms of pricing um, when it comes to design. And we're, we're comfortable with that because we deliver a great result. That's not to say you couldn't get a, a great result with a, with an agency that uses an offshore team. It just means that it's a different model. Um, but we believe that quality comes from having a local team that, you know, can actually sit with you and discuss things with you um, and can deliver like a really top end result. And we train, we go like through very heavy training with our staff. And so we recruit for certain skills. Mm. Um, I, I do like that concept though, of we're comfortable with that. Like, it's like when someone's trying to buy off you and um, that, well, I, had, I, I was talking to Miles, who owns a bespoke corner. He was actually on the show and he was saying that, you know, sometimes people come in and they're, they're trying to get the price too low on a suit. And he, he said, one thing I loved he said, he said was, look, that's unfortunately that's not the tailors we are. Our suits are high quality. It's the fabric this is how we get them made. And, you know, we may not be the tailors for you. If you'd like, I could give you the number to some. Totally. Yeah, and I can't imagine saying that to someone and then them being like, oh, yeah, I would like, you know. They, they, they're probably going to be like, shit, that's, you know, you're confident in your product, you're confident in yourself totally. and you're strong enough as a business to actually turn down a client 
that means you're a good business and people want a healthy, it's like, it's like, um, <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but it's like when people are looking for partners, like life partners, like your husband or your wife, right? There's a reason beauty is beautiful because it typically symbolizes health. When you're evolved, the person with the white eyes and the bright color lip, the pink lips and that healthy hair, they, these are signs of health. That's why they're attractive. These are the things that you look for? No, this is things all human beings look for uh, subconsciously. It's, a, it's factual. Yeah. Size, it, all these things. Um, there's a re- – yeah, we can get it. That's another conversation. <laughs> I know a lot about that stuff, but that's another conversation. But really people are – all businesses are also searching for healthy businesses to partner with. Totally. I want a healthy business. And a healthy business someone that's com- – like what you said, I'm comfortable with that and we'll turn someone down if they're not right for us. Totally. And that's – it doesn't always come down to price. Sometimes it comes down to actual culture fit as well, mm. right? So if I feel like someone's actually not going to be a good fit for a team and they are going to be like awful to work with and going to be – uh, I guess, cancerous to, to a degree and like create tension and all the rest of it. I don't need you, right? There's plenty of other businesses out there and I don't want to work. I, like I personally don't want to work with bad people. Why? Like life's too short for that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if someone came to Cub and said, I want to pay like $500 a year to join, you'd be like, listen, you're probably not the great fit, but here's another, here's another like members club that you might be able to join mm. for that price range. But we offer a premium uh, service. Yeah, you're going to be in the room with a bunch of legends. Yeah, absolutely. Up. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, if, if you get one learning over the year that transforms your business, was it worth paying the entry fee? Then the answer is, yeah, of course it is. On, on the topic of culture, uh, Nathan and Dave, our members that own uh, Hawks Brewing, have you, hmm. have you met them? They really, they're, they're cool guys. They said, if we have the beer rule, one beer rule, if we'd want to have a beer, if we have a beer with someone, and we'd want to have a like a, another beer, beer with them. That's how we know we're working with them. Like we're gonna get along. These are people that are they're they're, they're aligned with us. We're, we're yeah. gonna. And I think that's kind of a cool way to think about. Yeah, it. Like, would absolutely. I want to have a beer with that guy or that or, the, or that lady? Yeah, but that's why so many so many deals are done over drinks. Mm. I mean, not these days, but like yeah. uh, generally speaking, like a lot of drink a lot of deals are done over dinner and drinks and mm. schmoozing and all the rest of it. Yeah, and people kind of. They knock it to some degree because it's like, why do you need to do that? But actually, again, people do business with people they like. You have to build that personal relationship. That personal relationship isn't just what creates the business opportunity in the first place. It's actually what keeps that business opportunity going down the line. Exactly. Um, and so there's there's value in spending time with people. Um, and so it's, it's not just about like winning a new client. It's actually about making a friend and building a new relationship that's the key making a friend i like you now i know you're probably going to give you we're friends you're probably going to treat me really well i'm going to treat you really well yep. there's going to be a long-term healthy relationship because we're going to like hanging out and dealing with each other yep that, that, that's so it, that's so funny because yeah that does get a bad rap having a drink with a client or with a potential client or having dinner schmoozing and all that stuff it's not schmoozing maybe i want to be friends with the person i'm going to do business with yep. yeah and that's the sign of a really healthy relationship at the end of the day when you use when you've got a when you're your client and you your partners, yep. and you need to have a healthy relationship together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's the like? There's a lot of change happening in the industry uh, at the moment. <laughs> I'm only guessing, but I'm going to assume that there's a fair few new technologies or like digital marketing is one of those things that kind of like you said that when you started, you were 25. You, was that six years ago? Yeah. You came out of the gates. There was heaps of other companies in that. I mean, it is quite a. Uh, I always said uh, on the show, it is quite a occupied section of the market. There's a lot of digital marketers out there, and what I'm going to assume is that. And I always say too that finding your point of difference and niche in that market is is, is crucial, but also leading it is very important. And what are some of the new kind of uh, innovations or technologies that are happening in in, in your industry? Um, I think generally speaking, there's a pretty big push around automation and AI. Um, I've got a friend that works in, uh, in AI um, and, uh, or a, an AI kind of like business and he's much, much smarter than I am. Um, and he said that the, actually the only limitations to artificial intelligence at the moment is the human brain. So artificial intelligence is already capable of doing almost anything we want it to do, but the human brain doesn't have enough creativity to actually tell it to do those things. So you have this technology with almost like unlimited potential. Um, and so I think over the next couple of years, we're probably going to have a whole bunch of stuff come out that's absolutely going to blow our minds. Um, 
automation is all about process improvements, right? Like there's automation happening in, uh, in uh, like uh, manufacturing and production and that kind of thing where you've got like, you know, big plants moving to robots to kind of put things together and all the rest of it, that kind of automation. And that automation is happening across every industry, including our own. You've got all these different platforms and services coming out, like even email marketing automation, right? Like person does this, send them this email, put them through this thread. They look at this product, send them this email, put them through that thread. So there's all that kind of stuff coming out that probably over time will start making like different roles, either redundant um, or uh, we'll need to refocus what agencies are doing because there'll be all these different systems and processes, um, whether it's automation or artificial intelligence or a combination that takes on a lot of the workload. What I'm seeing happen is that strategy is actually going to become more important than ever because right now most of these functions follow like uh, an if this, then that model, right? So you're basically telling them if this, if this happens, then do this. And there's no lateral thinking beyond that. It's, it's very process driven. So you still need a human being sitting behind it and kind of giving it direction to analyze the data and take those insights and then turn it into something meaningful because execution is the most important thing, right? You can have the best idea in the world. If you can't execute it, what was the point? Um, so having all of these technologies is great, but you need someone who's going to drive that technology, not, not to just install the technology and then be like, cool job done. And then just like, leave it. It's going to be totally ineffective. So I think there's just going to be a, a real shift to having a lot of really strategic thinkers on board that can leverage that tech and make it into something epic. The thing with technology is it's just so much harder for people like myself and most people that don't understand the technology and dev and all this type of stuff to actually see the progressions. Like, I mean, you mentioned like factories. That's a great example because like, you know, you had the um, how factories used to be done where one person was doing the whole thing. Then Henry Ford came in and made the production line or whatever he made. And you, know, you only did that one certain thing and you did it great and moved on and on. And then you had machines come in and machines started doing it, replace the people. And now they're fucking printing things with 4D printers in, you know, it, but you can see it change with, with technology. It's much harder for people like myself to actually see those innovations because we don't, you know, you don't understand it. So, I mean, like having someone who does understand that and knows how to leverage that power is is crucial. It's what you need. And that's what you'd look for, I guess, in a marketing firm, no? Yeah, I mean, you look at like analytics, right? Analytics and data is kind of the hot topic these days, especially around privacy, right? So you've got all of these companies. I don't know if you watch like The Social Dilemma on uh, on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend that as a, as a documentary to watch. What's it about? Um, it's basically a lot of like the founders, product managers – um, uh, of all of the major uh, social platforms, Twitter, Facebook, That's Instagram, uh, Pinterest. And they talk about how these platforms are actually designed to keep your attention. So they're, they're designed in such a way that it uh, almost mirrors everything that you want to see in order to keep your attention there, which is dangerous because you basically start living in a bubble, which is why it starts becoming very polarizing around things like elections. Mm. Right, because the only stuff that you're seeing are the you're things you're seeing that, left, or you're, say, you're seeing super left or super right, and that's it. There is yeah. no center anymore because you're only being shown what you want to see because that's what keeps you online. Mm. So it's a really interesting documentary, but it it it, uh, it kind of talks a lot about you know the power of analytics and understanding the consumer. Right, how do you engage with them in a way that is important to them? So you look at all of these different technologies, and yeah, for sure, like. Could the lesson though potentially be that you should be engaging with them in a very extreme way? Because obviously these extremities are what's causing people to remember and pay attention to stick to that to that storyline. So maybe as a brand, you should be being a bit more extreme. Well, but that's dangerous in itself because you're pushing brands and people into extreme positions, which are very difficult to back away from, right? It, it takes away from the ability to have a reasonable conversation because everyone's taken a very extreme position and they're not willing to move or negotiate from that position. Mm. So you've actually taken the ability for a middle ground off the table. So everywhere you go, it's like the DMZ in North Korea. Like you just mm. have like this huge dividing line filled with mines in the middle and everyone's standing on either side saying, I'm right, no, I'm right. Mm. Um, and people are like super passionate about the position that they take. Um, like I, I just think that all of these technologies are fantastic like automation and AI is fantastic, but then there's other stuff in terms of how it can be used that is dangerous. So if brands are going to start taking extreme positions, 
then we probably need to look at how that technology is going to be used, which brings up a whole other interesting point around do we need to control technology or is, you know, is the technology inherently not evil? It's people that are kind of like the argument, you know, guns don't kill people. I uh, agree. Like I people kill people. people. But technology you know, is something that we made. You yeah, know? So absolutely. The people that, so then how do you control it? You just can't. And that's what's scary. I, I get scared about the future sometimes because I'm so like anti-technology. Like, I, I could live in the jungle if I could. But, but like I was listening to Elon Musk talk like just on the topic of the AI thing. It was yeah. – he was saying that, yeah, he said the same thing. The, the technology is there. What is not there is how they link, is the speed of the from the brain to the technology. And so right now everyone has AI. Your iPhone is AI. If mm. you want to find out anything in the world, you can find it out. It, it's there. If and you, it learns it. it, it and and the, the phone will tell you. But he's, what he was saying is what they're working on is basically putting the phone in your brain. Yeah. So there's a connector where you think about it and then it connects to the phone or, you know. And it just does whatever, it And it tells you straight away into your brain. Yeah. And that's what AI, that, that's the missing thing. It's So imagine like a time where, you know, I'd be sitting here and I could tell you Einstein's theory on, <laughs> I don't even know what the guy made theories on. But, <laughs> but see, I could figure that out, you know, without having to go on my phone. Like that, that would be crazy. We both know everything though. And then what makes you special? What makes me spe- me special? I mean, I, I love Elon Musk. You want to talk about like having a little bit of ego to do some crazy stuff. Like that guy's got it in spades. Not so much ego, but like, as, I mean, he definitely has that too. But like the, the ability to see in the future and then the confidence to say, I'm going to make that happen. There's an interview with him the, the other resilience day. Resilience to make it happen. Totally. There was an interview with him the other day where he's like, yeah, the technology that we're working on at the moment will allow you to record memories based off your vision and hearing. It'll be like a chip that goes into your brain. And the uh, main idea behind that chip is actually for people who've had um, accidents that have made them either quadriplegics or paraplegics. So there's been a break in the spine. That chip will recreate the synapses. So people who are paraplegics will be able to walk. Wow. But then someone asked the question, well, if this is this implant is in your brain and it's sending all of this data back and forth, will it then be able to take the recordings of things that it's seeing because it's in your brain and store those memories? And he just very casually was like, yeah, it'll be able to do that eventually. I need that so badly. It's the <laughs> worst memory but of he, anyone you've ever met. But he just said it so casually as if like, yeah, that's yeah, that's like three, four years away. But that's what I'm saying. He understands the technology. For people like us, like, for, okay, maybe you understand the automation and the marketing technologies. I don't even get that. But he's taken he's a 10x. A, but he's on a whole other level. Yeah, like, he's like, ha he email it. marketing like, technology. Yeah, that does actually make sense. Yeah, yeah. that's so like 2000. <laughs> Stone age, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. But that's yeah. the thing. Like in 10 years, the stuff that we're going to be using, like my my parents um, grew up in communist Russia. Like they grew up in the USSR. They didn't have fridges or lifts or <laughs> washing machines or, or like- <laughs> They have a fridge. They didn't have Mind toilet you, paper. Russia, they used pretty cold. Newspapers. They can leave it outside. Yeah, keep, totally. Keep but like cool. there, there was no- there was none of this technology. Now they're like, what do you mean my iPhone can tell me the entire history of the yeah. Roman Empire? Like, yeah. what do you, like, all of this stuff doesn't make sense. And where we're going over the next five years, like the idea of, oh, you'll just casually be able to hop on a flight and it's going to take you to outer space and then back. Coming from, we didn't have toilet paper over the course of like 45 <laughs> years is insane to them. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. just, yeah, it's I, interesting. I asked my Nana once what her dad would say, her dad would say, if he saw an iPhone and she was just like, oh, he would be in disbelief. He would he would not have ever thought that that was a – Totally. She said he'd love it because he's a modern man but but he would be in complete – like he would just have no idea what – how is this even real? And, and that's not that long ago. That's my no. grand – that's – what's that? One, two – that's three generations before me, right? Yeah. We're going to die pretty soon too and then there's going to be three generations after – Imagine what those crazy people are going to have. I mean, they're going to be whacked out. I don't even want to be around them. They're going mean, to be they're the kids, screwed. The kids that are being born these days might not have driver's licenses. They might not need them. All the cars will be driving themselves potentially That's in 18 so years. Interesting. Right? So maybe they just will never have a driver's license. They'll never know how to drive a car. Maybe. Also, maybe not. I would say most likely. Also, maybe not. Maybe all cars will drive themselves or maybe they'll all be hybrids at that stage. So they'll never know what an engine actually sounds like. Right, because those types of cars won't be popular, or they'll be very heavily taxed because you'll well, petrol and all the rest of it. Because I also heard Elon Musk talking about that, and he was like, even if every car from now on was built electric, 
the average car lasts like something like 25 or 40 years, 25 years or something like that. And he was like, the amount of time for the trucks to be replaced, the some bullshit yeah. like that. He was like, it was like 400 years was like the time. Or no, it's on two years. generations yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound like much, does it? No, it doesn't. And um, and do you have, uh, because Laura's doing her finger twirl to me, it means we have to wrap up. Um, do you have a, a favourite book recommendation you'd like to share with um, our incredible listeners? Um, I think Rework is is a great book. Um, and then I think we were talking earlier about Ego is the Enemy. I think they, they serve different purposes. Rework, R-E-Work. Yeah. Um, rework is very much just about like best business practice. It's about kind of tearing down initial concepts and then like how do you actually structure businesses from a like financial perspective? How do you do business planning and strategy and all the rest of it? It was just really interesting when we were starting the business um, six years ago. But Ego is the Enemy, I think, is applicable to anyone at any point in time, whether it's business or whether it's personal or anything else. I also just found it like a really interesting read, even historically, like the way that he talks about all of these different things that happen through history, whether it's like, uh, you know, an ancient Roman general to a sports star to, you know, some of the companies that we know about today, mm. just talking about how things actually went wrong and what could have been done better. That's an incredible um, lesson to have. How the greats went wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think that I think that that's a book that is absolutely worthwhile but because ego is the enemy. Yeah. And and rework. Would you say that's by Jason Fried? I've got here. Mm. Would you say that uh, that is more for earlier stage businesses or people starting business, or is that relevant? I think, like even I think for it would be anywhere. Yeah. Like I think it just it forces you to kind of look at how you are currently, you know, running your business and to maybe think about things in a in a slightly different way. And what's I guess your greatest lesson in business to date. Um, Doesn't have to be greatest. Maybe like, let's make it a bit easier for you. Like one of the top three. <laughs> um, I think for me, I, I've always operated on the on the belief that a handshake can change your life. Um, and so always like take the meeting, go in person, go to the networking event, go to the drinks. I don't care how tired you are. Like you never know when you're going to walk into a room and there's going to be someone there and you're going to shake their hand and in some way or form – that conversation is going to have a material impact on your life in the future. Yeah. Um, and so if you're constantly kind of putting yourself in a shell, you're limiting actually not just your development as a person, but definitely as a business. Um, and so just putting yourself out there all the time in front of as many people as you can, because one day one of those people is it's yeah. going to have an impact. Give yourself the opportunity to find the totally. opportunity. Yeah. Don't rob yourself of what could be. And what do you love most about Cub? What do I love most about Cub? Yeah. Definitely the people. It's all about the people. I, I think um, I've told you this before, like everyone there I think is there to learn. Um, I think everyone there knows that they have more to do and more to grow and they want to surround themselves with people who feel the same way. And so there's a real uh, feeling that everyone wants to help each other but also everyone wants to learn something. And so that back and forth I think is incredibly healthy because everyone gets some sort of value and everyone can also deliver some kind of value. Um, and so I think I, I love that the most. This is just like some really cool people there doing some amazing stuff that are happy to give you the lesson if if you're willing to hear it. Love it. That was awesome. Um, that was one of my favorite conversations actually because we like we didn't follow the prep sheet that much. We just went <laughs> said some awesome things. I love that. Um, thank you for your time. Pleasure. Um, thank, thank you for, you for your me. knowledge. Thank you. For, we're so proud. You know that to have you as a member and and um, and, and, and privileged too. Um, and uh, if anyone wants to reach out to Michael, um, how can they find you? How, or what's the website, for example? Yep, uh, the website is yogurtdigital.com.au. And for you dyslexic people, because they know there's so many dyslexic members, how do you spell yogurt? <laughs> Y-O-G-H-U-R-T. Because <laughs> I spelled uh, it wrong many times. <laughs> or uh, you, can, you can email me at michael at yogurtdigital.com.au. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed the show.